and welcome to episode three of the complete Satoshi Kon. Uh, this is Tokyo Godfathers, his third feature uh, that we're going to be covering on this episode. Um, the third of five uh, works that we'll be covering. So we're at the midway point in his all too short career. Um, I am Matt Gasteyer and uh, I am here with my co-host Travis Trudell. How are you, Double T? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You That's know, my new nickname it, for you. I like it. That's a good one. Yeah, it's thanks. uh it's uh, you know, it's catchy. It feels very uh, uh familiar. This is like what I'm going to do. I'm going to do like a new nickname for you on every episode so people have to tune in to everyone. <laughs> they all want to hear what you're going <laughs> to call nickname. me next. The the Travis nickname drop. I'm going to have a poll on Twitter. If that's what people come for, then we're really not doing well. (laughs) I'm good. I'm excited. I'm in the holiday spirit. I'm very happy to be at home with my family. And, you know, not like that's different from my summer and my fall and my, uh, you know, the rest of the time. But, uh, you know, there's something nice about uh, the holiday season. Lots of holiday movies. Lots of of holiday movies that, uh, you know... Have a lot of blackface in them, which uh, I oh, was very no. sad. Oh yeah, Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn. Woo, that's Not a big good. scene. That uh, and you know, know what doesn't help? Uh, Ted Turner has a colorized version, which makes it even worse uh, on that disc. So uh, yeah, don't watch that. I mean, there's a whole. It's not like that you can cut it out too, because there's a whole no. scene where they're. It's like the they're romantically applying the blackface makeup. Oh, it is. Uh, it is stunning. I mean, it makes for a great. A family conversation to be able to say like hey this is a thing and the, you know having that talk is good you need to have that talk you need to know where your kids are in terms of their racial biases you don't want or them to stumble ideas. on the blackface is yeah you don't want them to stumble upon it or think it's okay uh you know like so many american children have been in the past or even nowadays you don't want them to think this is all a good fun so uh, i was very happy at the level of disgust my children displayed when those people came out in blackface and like oh my god what are they doing like yes that's the right response but (laughs) there was no joy the nice thing about holiday inn is that it's also incredibly sexist so oh i think that is you know it's a bonus it is. It's a. It's a whole. It's a whole melange of wrongness. But uh, it has some wonderful music, and uh, yeah, that's nice. Well, we could do another couple hours on Holiday Inn. Should we just uh, switch this podcast? No, I think we should talk about a different holiday, <laughs> which is the holiday a, they're celebrating good, in Tokyo. Yeah, let's Godfathers. talk about a nice Christmas movie. <laughs> I um, agree. Uh, Tokyo Godfathers, well, a movie that um, you know, it's funny because like I was rewatching it this weekend, and my kids wandered in and out of the room, and I, I realized like there's very few moments in this movie that are not kid appropriate. It, it's actually like a totally reasonable movie to watch with with uh, kids of a certain age, you know, that that understands grown up concepts. I don't necessarily know that they would have been heavily invested in this story, but um, you know, outside of a a shooting here or there or a, or a tossed aside um depending on which which version you watch um epithet um it's <clears throat> it's it's not too shabby I think. yeah it isn't my uh both my daughter sat for a while with it my son watched the last uh, third of it at yeah. some point and uh they were both both very happy with what they were seeing but uh 
yeah, I, I put it in the rotate. I put it in the pile next to my holiday movies as something to uh, watch with them uh, pretty soon because uh, it is a joyous film, even with those epitaphs and uh, violence and ideas of suicide aside. Um, you know, they're all all within the uh, they're all within the themes of the movie, and uh, they work out really well. So yeah, I think that you know it's funny because. I had kind of forgotten that it was a Christmas movie until we started um, watching it uh, for until I watched it again for this podcast. Um, and not only is it a Christmas movie, but like they, it, uh, you know, it's it's got the the at this point trademark cone misdirect at the beginning, where it's basically just you know a, a Christmas um, mass that they're having at the beginning of the movie. And, you know, you'd, you'd think you'd, if, if, it, if you, you know, you didn't know it was animated, you'd think you'd walked into the wrong movie. Oh, yes. The play within the, the play within the film that we, uh, that we've had in all three of his movies so far. It is a great misdirect. So is there anything you kind of want to touch on uh, to set up this movie before we dive into it? Um, just like, you know, uh, Cone had two relatively similar in terms of the ideas of how he wanted to tell a story um and they were fair they were very successful both of those films and so he wanted to he wanted to change kind of what he was doing he thought you know all right i've kind of told the stories i wanted to tell in that way let's uh let's change to something different and so uh him and his producing partners came you know together uh, wrote this, uh, you know, came up with this treatment and this idea for this film. And once again, you know, wanted he, him being who he is, wanted to touch on a lot of social issues that he was seeing happening in the, uh, in the news as they were, uh, writing the script for this. Um, he co-wrote this with, uh, Kiko Nobumoto, who went on to do stuff like, uh, Wolf's Rain and Cowboy Bebop. So for all the anime fans out there that, uh, um, you know, follow that kind of thing. Uh, it's it's important. It's a is female co-writer, which he wanted to bring in a more a more female voice to his writing, uh, seeing how he's now done two lead films with a female protagonist, uh, and this film was no different. We have uh, two female voices in this one, so uh, very important to uh, bring in another another voice to make sure that uh, things were sounding all right. So. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, he's working with a different, uh, a different composer, um, Keiichi Suzuki, um, which adds a very fun and upbeat uh, tone. And I finally figured out what everyone does in animation. So I know what the the cinematographer does. Uh, <laughs> that's the person responsible for. Uh, movement and lighting within the image so making sure that there's continuity of lighting and that the continuity of motion is happening correctly the animation director is the one who is figuring out um, the character designs with the director and overseeing all of the animation all the different people who are animating and then the art director is the person who's mainly responsible for the overall look and the background work um, which will come into play in this picture very greatly because there is so much detailed background work 
um, within this movie that help both portray emotion and to help direct us in the right way to go when we have choices to make. Um, it's it's absolutely fascinating. So it's important to uh, point out what these people do and uh, who these people are. Uh, the art director was uh, Nobutaka Ike, and the animation director was Kenichi Konishi, um, which he worked with him on the last film as well. And then the cinematographer was Katsutoshi Sugai. Um, so uh, he put together his stable of people that he works with regularly for this film, and they made some magic in my opinion i think this is a significant step up in terms of the sophistication of the um actual artwork that is being shown in the movie i think in both of his previous movies the animation uh as a correlation for filmmaking technique is extraordinary but i think here is really where he takes that next level in terms of the uh, the images on display both in terms of use of color um, but I think in particular as you mentioned in the the detail work um, both in character and in the backgrounds it's pretty astonishing uh, how beautiful this movie is and and how intricate it is it really is I know that uh on one of the behind the scenes feature on the uh, G Kids Shout Factory disc is a uh, is a bit about they took lots of reference shots of the city yeah and they doubled or sometimes even quadrupled the amount of garbage or details within the frame because they really wanted the uh, the city to speak more and the fact that there's so much anthropomorphic Zization. Did I say that right? Anthropomorphization. Anthropomorphization of buildings in this movie. Yeah. Um, There's lots of smiley faces. There's lots of city faces. There's lots of sad faces. Lots of side eyes. Faces telling you, uh, go take the left. Go go left, not right. Uh, It's absolutely. It's absolutely crazy. It's uh the the. it's subconscious in some sections. Uh, the the fourth time I watched it for the podcast, that's all I focused on was background work. Mm. After watching a uh, a whole uh, documentary about the location work for the film, and seeing all of this background work and how many buildings are set to look like faces and tell the emotion of the scene was pretty crazy. Yeah, and there's a full on dance party in the in the credits uh, oh, as yeah. the buildings move back and forth. There was a really interesting point made on one of the features that I watched um, about the detail work in the background that they um, used computers to uh, draw these extremely detailed signs and uh, sort of window uh, shots, and then they would shrink them down and insert them into the larger image so that they were able to kind of really get um, at that very minuscule level, um, a huge amount of detail into each background. Um, and you could definitely lose yourself in those shots. It's, uh, you know, people, uh, like to talk about like movies where, uh, the city is a character, uh, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) after hours or something like that. Um, this, this is definitely one of those movies where Mm -hmm. Tokyo is, um, part of the film 
um, you know, I got nostalgic just thinking about uh, the, the ability to walk into places. Um, oh, I know, right? Over the last year, um, watching this movie because they uh, they cover an enormous amount of ground and go into all different types of places, all different types of settings. Um, it's a it's a real joy to watch. It is a real joy, and I think I think the you know from the detail work that you're talking about because this is one of those films where you know I would probably be overwhelmed with the amount of extra details if I could read uh, Japanese <coughs> um, because you yeah. can tell that every, like there's shots where a sign is prominent in the foreground yeah. of some an action happening some in the background too. but lots of posters. You know, yeah, yeah, due due to the level of due to the level of uh, uh, you know unsophistication that uh, subtitling gives you, you can't have all that information happening at once that would naturally happen in the uh, native language. So it's a it's a real shame. And then yeah, you got those wonderful Easter eggs. Uh, you get a poster for Perfect Blue and a poster for uh, Millennium Actress at a video store in the background, and and it won't be the first or the last time he. Uh, he does that in one of his films, but I think the the liveliness and the spirit of this film really comes through mainly in the uh, the three characters that uh, that start this whole piece off. Yeah, I think the one other thing before we we get into starting the whole piece off is um, that this is extremely loosely based on or inspired by or. Uh, you know, heard about <laughs> through. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I, I I never actually saw Cohn specifically reference um, the original source novel, uh, which was called Three Godfathers, uh, as an, a source of inspiration. I think it's pretty obvious that there must have. I mean, the the fact that it could be a coincidence seems extreme to me, but. Um, they, I don't think it's credited in the in the film. Is that right? Yeah, no, it isn't. So, and, I mean, you know, it's, I it's a one... totally different story. Essentially, basically, all that's been retained is the idea of three people finding a baby. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think the producers are the only people who have mentioned it as probably just to cover their ass. Um, yeah, um, because it it does reference. You know, it is that idea, and I think. We both watched uh, Three Godfathers, the John Ford film. It was playing recently, and uh, yeah, it is nothing like this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> where everything in this is charming and winsome, uh, that movie is just so overwrought. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't and, think it works at all. And and no, I mean the Ford. So... Ford actually made the movie the or made mo- a movie based on the book twice. Uh, he made mm-hmm. it as a silent film in the 1910s, one of his first films. Uh, the movie was also remade uh, to, or the book was adapted two other times. The 30s one, which stars um, Chester Morris and Walter Brennan, uh, I actually really like a lot. I thought it was um, Is that much Three better. Bad Men? Uh, no, it's called Three Godfathers. Oh, that one's Three Godfathers yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big sucker for Walter Brennan and mm. he's, he's really great in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's a Western, um, it's, you know, they're, they're three guys, they're bank robbers. It's, it's a pretty different story. It's as different 
from this as three men and a baby is. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I think uh, we can kind of just uh, chalk it up to being a, a kind of basic premise that you can hang a plot on. Um, I like to tell people that this movie uh, was the influence for Ice Age. Yeah, that's, that's true too. There you go. For sure. Um, well, so I mean, the the basic story here uh, happens before the credits even start. Um, we've got uh, three people who are uh, experiencing homelessness. Um, one of them is a trans woman. One of them is a middle aged man. One of the, uh, who's a, who's ostensibly a drunk although he never drinks in the movie um and then uh one is a is a teenage runaway and they uh discover this baby in the trash um and uh are you know struck with the uh the challenge of either keeping it or return going to the police or trying to find uh the mother to give the baby back to all on a snowy Christmas night. Yep. No, it takes, uh, yeah, it's an adventure that takes them all across the city uh, through all kinds of uh, different scenarios, different uh, connections. Uh, I was thinking while watching this, you know, I couldn't help but think about our season about uh, Kieślowski and his idea of, you know, uh, serendipity or synchronicity. Very that. Much so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that displays all the human connectivity, and uh, and this movie really has a uh, has that in spades. It's really it's really showcasing how everything is connected in some way, from uh, echoing the same types of names, uh, uh, Hana, the uh, uh, the mother figure of the group, uh, calls the baby that she finds Kyoko. Which we end up, you know, hearing that name two more times throughout the film, um, you know, and how all this stuff connects. It's a, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Um, I know that a lot of people's issue took issue with the fact that everything was so coincidental, that everything happened coincidentally. Um, but I think, uh, you know, not to be that person, but. They're missing the big point of what that what this movie is supposed to totally be, which true. is about it's about these things that are happening because this you know of this idea of this magical baby. There's a lot of magical realism in this, which is funny to talk about when it comes to animation because the whole point of doing animation most of the time is to create a sense of magical realism. Like these are things that can't happen in real life for the most part. That's why they're animated. So you know people don't get hurt as as easy or you know uh, these 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 flights of fancy can happen because animation makes it so so to make a animated film in which magical realism is kind of one of the tenets of it is is a fantastic uh choice because the characters are very real and the things that are happening to them are very real you know you can't watch that scene where uh, Jin is being beaten up by the teenagers because they decide they want to go have fun and beat up the homeless people. You can't watch that and not think that that is, you know, you can't help but watch that scene and empathize with him as he's struggling. And you see these teenagers who are just completely out of that class and are choosing to uh, 
you know, take out their privilege on these uh, homeless people. You know, the fact that they drag a dead guy out of a tent and beat the crap out of him, too. Um, you know, not a care in the world. This is just something they do. So when you see something like that, but then also see scenes where, uh, you know, every baby in the city starts crying to lead our heroes to go find that baby one more time <laughs> and how these th- two things can be in the same film together. Um, it's a it's a feat that I think only uh, Cohen has been able to accomplish like so well. He balances the tone so well. Well, actually, there's a third uh, ostensibly named Kyoko in the movie when the mm. teenagers are beating up uh, the the two men. Uh, they get a phone call that Kyo is um, waiting for them uh, at a bar. Yeah. Um, so it, even in that moment. Um, there's, you know, sort of that connection to the larger kind of mystical, uh, you know, spiritual stew that is cooking around these characters. Um, and it's an interesting comparison to, uh, Kieślowski because, um, it's a different sort of spiritual or like, um, relatable, um, unexplainable feeling that I feel like Cohen is trying to tap into here. You know, in Kieślowski, there's a sense that we're all connected, that, you know, we come from something else or that there's this, a higher, uh, power that is, um, you know, that, that can guide our lives. Um, in this, it, it, it's still a higher power. I mean, certainly in that final, uh, moment, uh, with the banner, uh, that's very real. And I think Hannah is, is definitely the person who taps into, uh, or, or questions that the most, you know, she almost has a bit of like a, um, a Veronique, uh, vibe to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's significantly more playful here and it's almost like a trickster, you know? And, um, I think the first time I saw this movie, I was reminded of Demi's Lola, which has a lot of these same weird coincidences at play and, and offbeat characters. And I think uh, that this is an extremely lighthearted movie, ultimately. Um, and I think that's what Cohn is doing the most here, is playing with these topics that I think are more kind of ser- taken seriously taboo in, in Japan. You know, especially based on the kind of the questions that he got on the press tour for this movie. I think the idea of centering a movie around three homeless people in uh, Tokyo is a very different proposition than doing the same thing in New York or Los Angeles. Um, And uh, by pairing that with this really, I think, delightful, uh, magical realism uh, story uh he's he's giving it this this very unique spin yeah i i i remember listening to like someone remarking that they didn't even know that there was homeless people in tokyo like it's just such a you know when you, when you're here in the states all you see is like the good stuff or the art and the uh the culture of a place without actually being in it and seeing you know even the bad parts of town i know when i first went to go uh visit uh my wife's uh home country her dad made sure to take me on a trip into the uh 
into the rougher areas of the neighborhood mm. to make sure I understand that, you know, there's a whole class of people, you know, many classes of people living there. And it's important. It's important to kind of see that because that helps you empathize and helps you see the bigger picture of what's going on. And I think that's that's what Cohen's trying to do for sure is say, hey, look, the, here, here's this here's this subclass of people that we look down upon every day. I mean, from the scenes where we see them in a train and everyone's holding their noses and covering their mouths and, you know, to people, you know, drunks mainly just chastising them inside of a grocery, you know, a yeah. cafe for even being there. Um, and then the teenagers beating them up, you know, they obviously look down upon this class of people. And Cohen wants to make sure that we understand that these people have stories. They, they, they have existence and they have depth to them and you know reasons for why they're there so it is it's it's an important and then the light-hearted touch to it that kind of gives everything a sense of hope and a sense of um and a sense of grace to these characters even if they're bumbling and acting foolish they're the decisions that they're making are are pure of heart which i think is is also very good. There's not that scene where someone says, you know, I'm going to be selfish and do the wrong thing. For the most part, they they always they always do the right thing when they're when presented with the opportunity. Yeah, I I think that there's uh, uh, just a really rich humanity <clears throat> that that Cohen gives to all of these characters. I mean, even the uh, the sort of crime syndicate boss. You know, we meet him uh, pinned down under his own car, <laughs> um, and you know the his storyline. Uh, you know, the the his daughter marrying um, somebody like it's the, the wedding day, just like on you know in The Godfather. Um, oh yeah, and you know his his uh, his guy getting shot in front of him, saving his life. Like these are could be very uh intense crime thriller plot storylines um but it's done with a very light touch and you never feel anything but um you know a, a sense of affection for these characters and a sense that of like you know just who they are kind of as individuals and not as um cliche versions of uh what they um are defined by by society uh and you know i think that is certainly uh most true of hana who is uh, not a character that you would um, typically see uh, at this point in the early 2000s um in a movie that didn't involve her struggling with her identity or uh you know being raped and murdered or or uh, dying of AIDS. Yeah, exactly. Um and you know the so the and 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 that the movie is not about her struggle with her identity or um you know or or, or her or struggle even their or even her, her partner's struggle with her identity. Yeah. They accept they accept Hana for who she is. I mean, to the point where, you know, I know there is some some jabs, some, you know, homos thrown around a little bit, uh, you know, here and there. But it it seems to come from a place of comfort and joking between people that are 
familiar with each other to the point where that is a you know an accepted thing for him to kind of joke about with her yeah um there's never seems to be an offense she takes more of offense to her age than anything um you know because because of that but it's a it's it's handled so it's handled so well that i think it's 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 important for people who have never experienced that and especially you know uh maybe even a younger audience to kind of see a character like that uh, back then um as a character of grace and strength and uh hope that is uh it's it's quite an it's 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 a marvelous characterization that i think is uh very important yeah and there, i mean there's been a, a lot written about her just because she uh is so unique um in film history and and in that that moment in in film history um you know she was voiced in the original japanese version by a man it's a he's a man with a deep voice who based i i didn't look up the rest of his career but based on his shirt in the (laughs) in the (laughs) interview uh the making of interview uh he's a kind of a comedian like he's a little kooky Mm -hmm. Um, and there's definitely moments in the film that come off, um, as, you know, she's, she's definitely like a, yeah, flamboyant character. Um, and you know, I, I, I think I could, I could see it being, um, coming off as, you know, the audience is supposed to laugh at her. Um, I, I personally don't don't read it that way i don't know how you feel about kind of the portrayal of her through those moments there's some really great animation moments where you know her face is contorted in comedic ways but also like she turned at one point she turns in literally turns into another person when she's doing an impression of somebody that she would like to be romantically involved with um in, <laughs> yeah, when she you changes, know, in the back of the changes taxi. her face yeah to his face. yeah exactly um which is probably like the most overtly um, exaggerated animation moment in the movie, um, mm-hmm. surreal animation moment. But I, you know, I think ultimately it's an a, an affectionate portrayal of her and a realistic depiction of a of a particular type of character, not necessarily a trans woman, you know, in general. No, I agree, and I think. I think for the um, the anniversary re-release of this and the creation of the new Blu-ray release, uh, G Kids picked up on the affection and the uh, seriousness in which her character relates to uh, trans uh, transness in the film community, and made sure that when they redid they redid the English uh, dubbing. Um, and it made sure that the person that was doing the dubbing for that was, is a uh, trans woman as well. Uh, Shakina Nafak uh, does the voice work. Uh, she's a comedian and an activist. And uh, she does the voice work for Hana in the uh, English dub, which I actually, after watching, I watched the, the subbed twice. I watched the dub twice. And I think the dubbed version is definitely... Uh, in my in my opinion uh, a superior uh, uh 
direct direction for the voice acting. I know there was another English as well somewhere along the way, probably the one you have, maybe? Yeah, I have the British uh, Blu-ray that uh, was released a couple of years ago. This, this along with Millennium Actress, was uh, forever relegated to a window-boxed uh, editions. Mm. Um, and, you know, kind of the floodgates opened up uh, a couple of years ago on all of these titles. Um, I did not watch, I didn't bother to watch the, the English dub on the disc that I have because I knew, um, that, uh, there had also been some translation issues, Mm -hmm. uh, with the dub in particular, rather the subs, I think also the old subs also have some, some translation issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, the more familiar, the more familiar, uh, terms he uses yeah. for Hana are turned into more barbed and uh, vicious terms yeah. which uh, take away yeah so I, I mean I, I I probably will end up getting the US version um, to hear that um, to also have the, the other extras that they included um, but it, it's interesting do you feel like there are other components of the dub that are superior beyond the actors that they chose for uh, for those two trans roles uh, the uh the uh, the young the teen runaway uh, mikuki yeah um she also has a has miyuki. a better of uh, miyuki sorry i wrote it wrong uh she also has a better voice uh dub um for the english version she doesn't have kind of like the uh, not to it's it's going to sound maybe potentially problematic but she doesn't have the cutesy girl voice um that accompanies the japanese uh version uh she has more bit of a more kind of like a sardonic and sarcastic kind of tone which makes uh her transition for being uh, more of the heroine of the film by the end uh relatable um, whereas the other one, it kind of feels uh, uh, stereotypical of a character from anime, and I, you know I don't want to offend people that love the Japanese version. It just it felt more keeping in pace with the rest of the changes that had been made. Um, it felt more kind of uh, you know natural versus uh staged or theatric uh it wasn't traditional voice work that was being done in the the new english dub which i think was what made it uh more interesting to me yeah that's interesting she's she's a an interesting character i the first time i watched the movie i definitely felt like throughout that there was something much darker brewing in her background Mm. than what ended up uh being the case um which i guess was just that she thought that her dad lost like gave away her cat yeah and then she stabbed him which seems like an overreaction to me it is uh that was one of the things that i was (laughs) listening to cone talk about was like you know i'm reading the newspaper and then there's this is whole rash of like uh, teenagers hurting their hurting their parents like rebelling against their parents in the most violent ways you know uh, stabbing their dad over the remote control for the tv mm. like that kind of stuff and he said you know part of the part of the background of this character he wanted 
because if you if you uh, if you look at the three characters, um, all of them had made a mistake that they don't feel like they will be or should be forgiven mm. for, and that is what uh, they choose to be homeless at that point because they don't think they deserve to right. be accepted. And all you know, in retrospect, as we learn about all their stories, every single person they come across is kind of like, I don't. It wasn't that bad. I don't know why you reacted so poor, like ran away so much. Like, you know, uh, with Hana, who, uh, you know, I can never come back and show my face here. All she did was get into a fight with uh, with a drunk at the club she sang at who uh, called her an old fairy and she wasn't happy with that. And like the and the uh, mother who is uh, who is her mother figure and the, the one who kind of runs this uh, nightclub was basically like oh that oh yeah no we just uh comped him and paid him some money and that whole thing went away we don't know why you disappeared <laughs> yeah. and same with same with uh uh miyuki uh Jin. same thing yeah uh yeah same with Jin. like you know i i you know racked up some gambling debt and stuff like that and i was so embarrassed and ashamed i ran away and you know the daughter is like you didn't have to like we ran the store you know everything was good and then same with the our teenage, uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it wrong. Is it Miyuki? Miyuki, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna fix that right now. In my, uh, <laughs> I wonder in my if she. Notes, I mean, so. yeah. I think they all kind of. It's interesting because they. They seem to have lost the edge that they had, like before they became homeless, um, through the process of being homeless. You know, they're. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't get the sense that Miyuki is somebody who could stab anybody um, when we know yeah, her. No. And yet, you know, uh, I think there's a, uh, certainly, uh, and and the same with Jin, like, he, he's not a drunk who gambles all the time. Um, it It's it's this sense of, of, of the reverse of an expectation that people would you know, somehow lose their job and get to be homeless and then that would make them hard and uh, they would pick up nasty habits or, um, you know, become addicted to drugs or whatever it is. Um, but it, 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 it seems with all three of them like the opposite is true, that, the, that it, it's actually softened them and created this, this family, which, you know, is definitely not um, like a polite, upstanding uh uh, you know the Waltons or anything, but it's it, it's a they they yell at each other and they call each other names, but they do actually have this deep affection for each other. Yeah, and what family doesn't act that way? You know, they're they're not much different from like your you know your crazy uncle and your your weirdo aunt and you know that that cousin of yours that's always into a goth music and you're just like God, what's wrong <laughs> with her? But no, it's a uh, yeah, it's great. Like I, I, I appreciate what you're saying about the uh, uh, it has softened them, and they are characters that want to be a part of things, and they so they they cling to each other because it is a functioning family. And there's even like there is even discussion and you know kidding around the fact that uh, Hana is in love with Jin, and. You know, Jin has to know this. They have a relationship, basically, but nothing has. It's not. 
there's no deal made of it and there's no you know it's a, it's an understanding that you know this is the unit that they've comprised to uh look out for each other there's never a moment where they're not doing something with the other person in mind from hana making sure she gets extra food after sitting through you know the, all the sermons and stuff for the uh, food shelter which don't even get me started on missionary work for the homeless you know you know, yeah, we'll give you this only if you sit and listen to our, you know, religious doctrine, you know, beat about your head all the right. time. Um, but uh, the fact that she makes sure that she brings uh, food back to Miyuki, the fact that when uh, Miyuki uh, takes a book from another homeless homeless couple guys, she leaves some food in, in replacement for it. You know, they're always thinking. They understand that there is a community here. And this is, uh, I think this has to do with also with the, interweaving of this idea of religions throughout this whole entire movie um you know we have uh catholicism and you have shintoism you have buddhism all blending together into uh this concept that you know just do good in the world put good energy out in the world and good energy will come back to you you know it it's you know it's that it's that whole thing of like well what you know if you just take the basic uh boil down every religion to what they're what they're trying to do and (laughs) you just take all that good stuff and if everyone applied it it would be the same thing put good energy out into the world and good energy will come back to you and i think that's all this coincidence all this serendipity that happens is all based upon the good energy that they're putting out you know that gangster who hit the end going back to the gangster uh, whose introduction is fantastic because they don't say he's a gangster, uh, but you know he hands the card and you see the finger chopped off, and you know that that's who this guy is. It's an instant recognition. Jin instantly recognizes it and wants nothing to right. do with him. But they save him from his car, and he ta- he does he does right by them. He easily could have just handed him twenty bucks and walked away. But it's like you know you save my life. This is my daughter's beautiful day who also is a kyoko his daughter uh, let's go i'm going to take you and you'll be my my guest of honor and that's a very that's a very kind thing to do that's a very you know that's that whole best of uh, religion boiled down is you you help the downtrodden you help each other and it's the same thing that uh, our trio of godfathers does is take care of each other and take care of people around them so yeah it's a uh, yeah. It's 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 fantastic. This uh, energy that they keep on, uh, this positive energy they keep putting out. And the, there's a uh, huge amount of coincidences with this guy too. I mean, he not only does he know the bar where uh, this mother is supposed supposedly works. Um, he his daughter is marrying the guy who owns the bar, and he owns the bar. Um, yeah. You know, they get there and. Um, you know not only does this guy own the bar of the mother uh of the baby but he also uh is the guy who Jin bet with that you know owed all this money to and made made him run away from his family um which Jin has misplaced his anger towards him instead of himself and then you know he lunges to to kill him which will not end well for him um and somebody else is already there doing it for him uh shooting him uh three or four times and then running away um 
a guy in drag, of course. Um, yes. And, uh, and, and it's so great because he, that happens. And then later in the film, we get to a point where he finds out that that gangster that, you know, wrist is, you know, through his body in front of his boss is going to survive. And Jin is genuinely, yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm so happy that he's going to be okay. And his daughter says, I thought you would be like, you know, I know that you're a good person, dad. You know, it's this whole, it is, it's, you know, it's <laughs> there. They're so they're such wonderful people that you know I would want to wander around Tokyo with them for a few days for sure. <laughs> I I think um, I I was I was wondering when I would want to to get to this, but I I think it's especially uh, worth pointing out just how different this movie feels from the other two Cohen films that mm. we've covered and his last film as well, which, which all three of those movies feel so much of a piece and, uh, ha- certainly have their, their likable characters. I mean, especially in millennium actress, but, um, they are ultimately about these much more kind of chaotic and messy, uh, emotions and uh, worldview and sort of, you know, almost embracing that chaos um, in a lot of ways. And here we have um, chaos for sure, but it's a much more, uh, it, it's, it's, it's more like the chaos of, of a uh, intricately designed clock. Uh, that you oh look at and it seems like oh my god how could anybody put this thing together and yet you know it works perfectly and beautifully and it it has you know charming sounds coming out of it and i guess i like especially because he he ended up going back to a style similar to his previous work in in paprika although certainly not in terms of uh simplicity of uh animation Mm. um but i guess i wonder where you think this movie came from (laughs) it's uh i think this came from his his manga there's this great uh couple of uh couple of short manga stories that he wrote uh beyond the sun joyful bell and kidnappers which all are the roots of this of this movie. Um, they all can be found in his uh, Dream Machine uh, uh, collected mm-hmm. works uh, volume. Um, and all of these, like Beyond the Sun, is this fun kind of like uh, chase movie. A uh, guy on a bike chasing this car down, and you know, Joyful Bell is uh, this Christmas film, and Kidnappers is like a guy, it's a serendipity uh, story of a guy who steals a car that has a child that a kidnapper had kidnapped in it, which I we talked about in the very first podcast. But I think this comes from his original roots of the stories he wanted to kind of tell at first. Um, when you listen to all of his interviews, he talks about Perfect Blue as something that's like, I wanted to come out of the gate with something that made everyone stand up and take notice of me. So, you know, he amped up the violence and the, and the, the sexuality. And he also completely uh, retooled the idea of storytelling and animation uh, by, you know, 
by making those transitions and those cuts so unique and so uh, you know uh, breathtaking um, that I think at this point you know with Millennium Actress he wanted to tell a softer side to that kind of storytelling mode and then with this he's able to kind of go back to his original roots uh, you know pre you know post-college manga stories he used to tell which were these uh, gentler more realistic uh, less violent or less you know less grand uh, grand but at the same time I mean this the scope of this work is 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 insane like he takes us through all of Tokyo every section of it uh, we go through all these different class sections you know we have gender dynamics we have uh, the societal uh, homelessness gangs sex workers immigrants like we go through the whole we run the gambit of like what uh the cross-section of what is going on in tokyo at the time you know juxtaposing the ultra rich to the super poor with those uh beautiful shots of the buildings panning down to the homeless parks um so i think he wanted to go back to telling like his more joyful stories that he uh he told before and i think i think millennium actress helped him make that decision because that is such a hopeful joyful story um but it is the you know the bright side of that uh that coin uh that perfect blue is on the other side of so i think this one still has that tone and once again i think his techniques in this film are 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 dialed up as well he's not he's not making those transitions that are just spectacular but the transitions in this film are so seamless um from you know Jin after dragging himself in the alley after getting beaten up uh you he looks up and he's looking at the stars in the sky through the uh, buildings and then when we uh we do a cross fade cross dissolve to him lying down and his body's in the position of the constellation that he was just looking at you know there is still this beauty and magic that he's doing with his his film techniques but it's it's dialed down to be more fluid and less um awe-inspiring like it, it feels grounded like this picture feels way more grounded than the other two because of that yeah, I mean, you know, on when we were talking about Perfect Blue, I was uh, bemoaning the criticism of that film for uh, being a movie that could have been made live action because I really don't think that that either of his first two movies could have been made live action. Um, this movie could have been made live action. Now, that's not to say that um, it would have been uh, the same movie live action because there are um you know components of the detail like you were talking about that wouldn't be um as nearly as easy to execute um live uh in in a city like tokyo also um some of the some of the transitions again are incredibly sophisticated and um demonstrate beautifully fluid uh editing in uh you know the baby um being held by one person uh being held by another person uh in the same shot or in the dream sequence uh 
how Miyuki uh, transforms from their uh, the three godfathers home back to uh, to the home that she uh, or she goes from from her her parents home yeah to to the 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 hut where they live Um, things like that can't be done in live action the, the even the gust of wind you know i guess they could cgi something like that um at the ending of this movie um but it would it you could still tell this story um you know with with real people um and i i think in a lot of ways that's what Cone wanted to do was to show that um you know you can use these animation techniques in um interesting ways that can't be done the same as in live action but that doesn't mean that you're limited to stories that are fantastical or that necessitate the use of animation um i think that's what he was kind of pushing for with a movie like this that he could that he didn't have to uh, be uh, boxed into um, what animation was, uh, you know, being being pigeonholed as. Um, you know, I think oh, yeah. he inched robots, yeah, and... cute girls, robots, and explosions. I think he described it as, and you know, I think he inched in that direction with Millennium Actress, but um, I think because it was a bit more tongue, it was more tongue in cheek because of the fact that he knows that the person was playing a role in that type of movies. Yeah. It's uh, I think also like, you know that that really did need to be animated. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it was a kind of a story that was outside of the genre that was kind of to be expected from an animated director. Um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something like this that was, that was much more, um, straightforward in plotting and narrative. Um, and I mean, I think in some ways that's, uh, less flashy than the movies that surround it. Um, but I also struggle to kind of think of a lot of similar movies like this you know because there are some certainly some movies that uh, some animated films that are um, more adult more kind of just a straightforward narrative I don't think that they incorporate those animation techniques though to the same degree because I think they fight so hard to be kind of looked at as sophisticated work for adults that isn't like uh, you know, the animation that you uh, typically see that they kind of forget that they're making an animated movie. You know, even something like Loving Vincent, which is uh, such a unique uh, version of animation, the story itself is pretty bland and could easily be filmed in person. And by about a half an hour into that movie, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm very impressed that they were able to do these oil paintings animated, but I, I get it now. I'm kind of over it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that you're not doing anything with it at this point. Um, and you know, I, 
you know, you watch this this movie just looking at the backgrounds. Uh, you can't say that about a movie like that. No, not at all. You're absolutely right. I think uh, I think that was his goal is to just show like the different types of stories you can tell like you know even the fact that you know perfect blue millennium actress uh, all all these are stories that you know are simple enough on the surface but the way that he tells them and the animation styles that he chooses to uh incorporate in them uh make them wholly unique and you know every every time we've had a conversation we talked about what other movies uh, come close to this or how you know they're nothing none of no movies come close to this i can't even think of like a mo- like you know every one of the movies i can think of that relate to tokyo godfathers like something like uh scorsese's after hours like even that the tone of it is so bleak and kind of uh you know there's no hope in that film everything feels like it's, you're just a giant cog in a wheel of destiny that you can't control. And this one, this movie has such a, a hopefulness to it, such a, a karma that, you know, uh, your reward waits for you by, by continuously continuing to do good things. Um, I think that Cone is really, is really making an effort to show that animation doesn't have to be boxed into the type of animation that's being made. And unfortunately, there's very few movies uh, or television shows that have taken yeah. that idea and ran with it. Um, they continue to kind of stay within their their zones. Yeah, and I think um, so often um, the people that are really pushing the medium they go all out you know i mean that think of somebody somebody like yuasa who um is you know borders on surreal in his artwork and design um it's it's a whole it's a whole other ball game you know you're you're really it becomes about the the morphing of the animation which is really cool and can be great when it's when when he pulls it off really well um and something like mind game but i think um here he's still kind of as as different and and out there as his movies can be they never feel gimmicky and they never uh they, they, they always feel grounded in character, you know, and I think this is the purest representation of that because it, it is ultimately a character piece more so than any of his other movies. Um, Com- completely. And, you know, it, all of these coincidences that happen in the movie, like, and, and even, you know, stuff that sim- in similar ways to... Uh, millennium actress where you're like is this real or is this a movie it doesn't really matter something like here where like how he when he's lying um when Jin's lying about uh what happened to his family he says his child died and his wife uh followed her soon after um and then later on 
Miyuki is talking, or not Miyuki, um, his daughter, uh, Kyoko, Kyoko, is talking about the man that he's going to, that she's going to marry, who had a baby uh, and a wife, and she, the baby died, and his wife followed her uh, soon after, like word for word, uh, the same thing. I feel like that should not work at all, but it just does. Like it's just no, these circular things that happen in his movies and the way that he could incorporate things like that into a significantly more grounded story where you're not being constantly reminded that you're watching a movie that you're getting wrapped up in, in these characters. Um, I, there's something very like sleight of hand about it that I, I'm, very amazed by that that he's able to pull it yes no i know what you mean like it's a it's a lulling thing things that i normally in a in a movie would roll my eyes at like oh okay here we go this is the same story but and it's the same story of the of the uh the mom who kidnapped the baby it's the same it's her story too her husband and she her baby died and she's about to kill herself and then uh, that husband would be in the same shoes as Jin's story as uh, the doctor's story. So it's uh, I think it's 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 because of the character work and because of the tone he sets that these things become completely believable and acceptable. Uh, it's because of the world he builds. Like some of the stuff that some of our favorite directors get away with, is because of the worlds they build, you know? Like when we talk about someone like a David Lynch or uh, a Wes Anderson or, you know, just these people that have developed a unique style in which we accept, uh, you know, from page one. And I think he does that as well. I mean, I like to look at it as when the first time Hana stops and says a, uh, creates a... uh, a uh, a haiku, a haiku, yeah. and the words appear up on the screen as she's saying the haiku. I knew automatically that this film has an a deeper spiritual sense that makes sense in the long run. That of course this story would be a story that he hears because it's a story that he told because. He needs to hear that back to himself so he can understand how wrong it was for him to make that story up. Like, these are real people that have these problems. And for him to kind of do that is, is was wrong. And for Hana to, you know, completely blow up at him and make a monster of herself so he can look like an okay guy because she knows that that's what he needs to be able to be accepted by his daughter at that moment like the fact that she knows him so well and knows herself so well that she's willing to to sacrifice that for for him like these are it's because of these depths of characters that he's building like there's no cookie cutter stuff i read a i read a review um the person said that they never made it past the first half hour because they were so upset that Jin grabbed the breast mm. of Miyuki while they were wrestling. And the fact that you wouldn't give the opportunity of a filmmaker to see what they do with that information or where they move forward with that, 
uh, makes me sad because then you would like that whole incident was total just pissing each other off type of stuff that is childish and he's acting like a child in that moment um you know like a stupid drunk uncle and then you see his redemption throughout the entirety of the of the film like not giving a character a chance to redeem themselves and shutting a movie off because a moment that you're bringing your stuff to and i understand people have emotional baggage that they bring with them to any situation that they see but to to write it off so quickly and not give the the film the opportunity to kind of tell its story the way it wants to uh makes me sad because there's lots of stuff here that it it completely changes the tone and the dynamic and the relationships between all the characters and you know the fact that that moment where he he grabs her breast while wrestling to to kind of give her shit about being like a an adult and then there's two more scenes of of what that idea of an adult breast means to feeding a baby and a baby rejecting it and it echoes throughout like it's 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 there for a reason it besides building the characters and understanding their relationships in the same way that Jin uh affectionately refers to Hana as a homo sometimes it's it's part of kind of the world and the characters that they build so it's it's important to kind of push through some of the uncomfortable stuff sometimes so you can understand what's going on and if you hinge everything just off that one moment then it's you know that's a whole that's a whole other that's your issues (laughs) and you can't blame it on the film well yeah i agree with that um i mean he's he he certainly uh does despicable things i mean as much as she Mm -hmm. uh hana like kind of intentionally blows up at him at the end like she's not wrong in anything that she says you know um so i think and i think she you know maybe is is convincing herself a little bit that she's doing this for him um and not for herself uh in that moment like i think there's a little bit of both there um oh for sure there's a steam kind of yeah yeah one as well um but his redemption is is uh really heartfelt i mean the the conversation between him and his daughter feel felt feels really real to me um and i think also you know i i could see the whole idea of this guy that's been lying about being a a cycling racer um you know in the climax of the movie the baby is has been kidnapped and is in a truck and he he you know he they're like we can't catch her she's going too fast and then he looks over and there's a bicycle there and he's like i'm gonna do it you know like i could see that happening in a in a hollywood movie so so clearly and rolling my eyes so hard at it but it's done so uh naturally here and it's not called attention to you know the idea that all of a sudden this guy is is becoming the cycling racer that he lied about 
being because it's an afterthought. It it's an yeah. afterthought for you, yeah. the viewer. It's not a. It's not something that they telegraph. It's something you think about later and go, "Oh my god, that's fantastic." Right. Same as uh, same as the lottery ticket. Yeah, that 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 like, that Con just shows that ticket sitting there at the end, and that's, that's not it. the end of the movie. You know that there, there's a there's a bigger, uh, more important emotional catharsis to finish the movie with um, than you know them getting some kind of money or whatever it is um yeah i think yeah and you and it takes it takes a huge leap of of your as a viewer's understanding of how he got that ticket it took me two visits to kind of go wait wait, when did he buy tickets and then you realize oh it's the it's his future self old man who handed him that bag and that's where the ticket is is was in his bag he was literally handed it to him for doing a kind act for an old man who is a uh, you know is a double of him in the future of like what his life could be almost like a uh, ghost of Christmas future you know in the in in his uh, in his mannerisms yeah. and his desires it's a uh, it's it's fantastic well, and the, and the, like the, the you, kind thing they don't he kind of them. partially does for him is hand him the bottle that he was going to murder this guy with <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's all so smooth. Um, yeah, I love that line from from that guy. Um, you know, I always dreamed I would die drunk in a nice house, and now I'm halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, and like uh, his spirit and yeah. his energy tied to those windmills yeah, outside, and it really is. And then it's and it's also the funniest right. scene. Because he goes to close his eyes. This is the scene my daughter watched. She's like, oh my god, is he dead? He goes to close his eyes and his eyes are still open. He just wants to drink one more uh, one more sip. Yeah, that that he would... I mean, I think there there probably are most filmmakers would end it with the, the you know, the wheel stopping and uh, and he's dead and then they start up again. Like, it, it's a yeah. subversion of that um, kind of, you know, expectation that, that Cohn does so well. And then he deflates, you know, he sets up that humor and that moment of, you know, of kind of like a happy death. You know, you smile and you say, okay, that's that's really peaceful and relaxing. And then, you know, he undercuts it with that horrible act of violence uh, done by the teenage boys on them. Uh, Which, you know, but then he also, you know, behind it all, you know, while, you know, they're having this fight. You know, he frames it like a video game and you look up in the windows and the lights are turning on and off like the power bar of, you know, Street Fighter. Did you pick that? No, up? I don't think I saw that. Oh, my God, dude. When they're uh, when they're fighting, when, you know, the kid is all like uh, doing his uh, kung fu voice and like Wah! Yeah. And his footwork and stuff like that. Um, up above them is the office building and the uh, windows like are power, lit up yeah, to the right the and the left. Bar. And then as as Jin gets his ass kicked, the lights start turning off. And when Jin gets one good hit on the kid, one one light turns off that's on his funny. side, and you just see it, it's it's and it's so it's so subversive because that is a really horrible thing to be doing. But you can also see it like as a viewpoint of the teenagers, like this is all a big game yeah. to them. Like they don't take any of this seriously. You know, they're quick to just put this down to go meet their buddies at the bar because that's what's uh, that's what's important. You know, it's a uh, it's very subversive and very unique, and that's another thing that makes this movie like. How, what other you couldn't do live action film and not have that scene be, yeah, you know, totally right. heartbreaking. And it is heartbreaking, but also at the same time, he's like, 
he's adding another layer to it as well. Yeah, and I think too, uh, that's that's true too of the the over the top moments from Hana. You know, they they come off as uh, exaggerations through animation that you know uh, underscore the uh, like the 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 char- the char- charisma of this character. You know, as opposed to um, it just coming across as as sort of a portrayal of a of a loud and a uh, flamboyant trans person. Um, oh, I think, you know, the one, one setting that we haven't, we, we mentioned it briefly, but that I think is just so vividly rendered is the, the bar that Hana um, meets her. I think it's, I think her name is mother, right? That's just the, her mother yeah. figure um, that runs the bar there. Um, yeah, angels, t- t- angels towers. Yeah, the, and you know, again, like the angel, uh, angel is the name of the cat that Miyuki has, mm-hmm. and uh, we see the baby with with wings at, at the end of the movie. They're talking about angels at the beginning of the movie, so that I mean, that definitely tie, ties into the whole religious component of the movie. But that, but I just, you know, the I was always reminded of um funeral parade of roses uh watching that you know maybe that's just um my limited experience with uh trans spaces in uh in japan um (laughs) but it it's it feels so real and like the detail of the of the bar like i'm a i'm a cocktail nerd and so just like staring at the bottles trying to figure out what they're referencing um and and it's just piled <laughs> on top of things there's so much detail in there that you could just get wrapped up in forever um it's just a really vivid um scene that uh is it, you know you don't expect to see in a uh, an animated movie no not at all and just and it's also nice as a character moment to see hana in all her glory uh, of how she probably visually pictures herself day to day like i don't think she pictures herself in the way that she looks um you know in the day to day now Uh, i think she still carries herself like she is in the spotlight belting out a show tune to a bar of you know packed bar full of people that uh are all there to you know to even if they're not there to witness her or see her they do see her uh, just due to the fact that you know she's singing and uh, and taking up some space, which is important and it's great. Um, but yeah, no, that scene is so so, and that's the only uh, and that's one of the only scenes that has like a true or a or a uh, typical anime style that fight scene. It switches into kind of like a uh, Dragon Ball Z uh, yeah. <laughs> A fight scene where she, you know, it, it gets to the still images and the sounds and the the cutting and the uh, you know the zooming in with the blank space behind their heads and it's it's uh, it's fantastic because it's you know it's it's her reminisce reminiscing over how crazy the fight was and then it's deflated automatically by mother who's just going well yeah that no that whole thing went away pretty quickly it was very sad and then you know more the moment where they're speaking at the bar and she's asking like, well, what happened? Like, where is he? They, you know, did he, you know, did he, how did he die? And, you know, 
she says, uh, did he die of AIDS? And she's like, no, he died slipping on soap yeah. in the shower, which is such a, which is just such an ignoble death. You know, you feel so bad. Like, you know, it's set up like in another movie. Yes, of course he would have died of AIDS because that's tragic. Right. Um, dying by uh, slipping in a shower is comedy. And, you know, and that's, that's the kind of life, you know, that's the kind of tone and balance that Cohen is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, navigating here. I felt, I felt like, uh, there was a weird, um, symmetry with, with Hannah, like on the drapes, uh, you know, I can imagine somebody grabbing the shower curtain as they're falling, um, you know, <laughs> um, with, uh, with, with the wind, gust of wind, uh, to, to lift them up out of the tub. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the flashback and then um, Yuki's dream sequence, um, those are the, the, I think there's one other, oh, the the um, the parable that she tells after she tells off Jin. Mm. Those are the real... The blue demon. Yeah, the red yeah, demon. I mean, those are the flashy animation moments in the movie where he kind of says, okay, we can break out of this style and do something a little a little different with these moments. Um other than that with you know with some the exception of especially like the facial features um changing and things like that it's a pretty consistent um visual style that that the movie sticks with um and really you know keeps you in this world the colors are really spectacular i mean especially the backgrounds um the the sky and the different hues that they use um depending on where they are in the city um and the use of the tokyo tower as as this you know uh point of reference as they're going around the city feels uh just so uh vivid like you're you really feel like you're there yeah, no, he does a great job of setting setting a tone for the space. Like, like we said, uh, you know, it's important that they traverse the city on their adventure because it gives them the opportunity to a come into contact with so many different people, but also to kind of really show kind of what that city is like beyond the famous stuff that everyone knows yeah. about. Um, and I'm thinking about when. When uh, Miyuki is uh, kidnapped by the uh, the Hispanic uh, dude who is dressed like a female waitress to be able to shoot the mob boss, um, and then we get back to his apartment, and and uh, we get to meet uh, some of the the immigrants that are in Japan because you don't you don't think about that you know you don't think about you know here in the states you think about immigration. Right. And some of the other countries, but you don't think about that there is Spanish immigrants living in Tokyo, uh, you know, hand to mouth, trying to make it work uh, as anywhere else, because that's not something that Japanese cinema really focuses on that often. Um, so it's it's refreshing to kind of still see that uh, world, that world building, and that uh, shrinking of 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 the of the globe that is happening in that in that moment. And that's the moment where we get to finally kind of have Miyuki's backstory and the idea that uh, nurturing uh, doesn't need languages sometimes, you know, when uh, when uh, Kyoko's breastfeeding and, 
you know, at peace and it's all warm and, and glowing and everything in there is these pink kind of like womb like hues and everything seems soft and inviting. Yeah. And it's, it's a really beautiful moment of, you know, people struggling to communicate and finally getting to a point where they understand each other that, you know, she can have an emotional release and, uh, finally feel at ease for a moment. Cause she's been putting up a front this whole entire movie, um, up into this point because she's so she's so embittered by thinking that what she's done she deserves to be out on the street she doesn't deserve love and she doesn't deserve to be kind of uh, 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 forgiven and so she's you know she's always talking about how well yeah well the police are after me and you have no idea what I've done and it's you know when you when you see back at it it's really what she's done is pretty ridiculous but it's also not something that can't be for easily yeah. forgiven. The the babies in that scene, it's just yeah, the a womb like is a really good description of it. And I think uh I really like that there's not any concern paid to why this guy shot this guy or at least I didn't pick up on any anything and no they no. you know completely dropped the story basically um and I mean it could it could have been the same thing that Jin was yeah. going through like this guy took advantage of them and you know it could have been coyotes got him in the country and then abandoned them took their path you know it could have been anything but it doesn't matter that's <laughs> he got his revenge and then went went ran away and he ends up being like nice you know like oh your baby's crying let's bring him to my yeah, house yeah and they definitely like the 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 baby uh parallel between people and babies in the movie is just uh you know it's i mean it's pretty straightforward it's just you know we're all babies and uh <laughs> we're all oh, yeah. live, trying to live our lives and uh get that milk um, I love, I love the, I love this, the scene where they're, you know, trying to find, uh, Kyoko and after they've given her, uh, to the, to the, the mother that is the, not her actual mother, um, the, uh, you know, she, <laughs> we think that it's Kyoko and she hotly like grabs somebody <laughs> and realize they realize it's the wrong <laughs> baby. To me, that's like the big laugh out loud moment in the movie. Um, but yeah, but oh, then yeah. just the, this chorus of babies, there's, um, it does feel like, uh, you know, Tokyo is this magical place that's like all connected. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like in the 101 Dalmatians when the dogs are communicating with each other to go oh. find the, uh, the missing, <laughs> the kidnapped dogs. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool scene. It really is. And that's where, that's where I started noticing like how, not only are the the faces that are kind of in the windows and in the streets of the houses, but they're also helping guide them to uh, to Kyoko, uh, where she's hiding or yeah. where she's being uh, you know scurried off to, and and then you know that final that final scene of uh, of the the fake mother uh, who's kid who ends up uh, we discover kidnapped the baby, and uh, her husband was the one who abandoned it because she he didn't want to you know it was basically one of those kind of like I can't believe you kidnapped this baby let's go put it somewhere so someone else will find it and we won't get yeah. caught uh, it, it wasn't a moment of abandonment like I don't want this baby it was a moment of we do, we can't get in any more trouble than we've already been in 
And, uh, you know, when we have that desperate moment where she's at the top and the husband has finally turned around and, and came to a senses, basically doing the thing that, uh, that Jin should have done, which is, you know, let's make this work kind of thing. Uh, she still takes that desperate step and uh, how that mo how all those moments play out where, uh, you know, Miyuki, uh, you know, talks about forgiveness and starting over and everything will be all right and you can't do this. But she's also very, very straightforward with the with the fake mom, you know, just being, you know, don't be stupid. You're going to you're, you're an idiot. That makes no sense that you would you would ruin someone else's family because your family was ruined how how like messed up are you and you know it snaps her kind of like awake like you know it isn't coddling she needs she needs to kind of like when hana first meets her just slaps her across the face and like how how dare you uh you know it's these moments of you know you got you have no idea how hard it is and you're 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 making things worse for everyone and that's the other moment where we get to our most magical realism section is when the baby basically says right to yeah. uh, right to fake mom, I want to go home. And you, <laughs> it took me by, it, you know, it took me a second, like, is the baby actually saying that? Is the mom, is the mom, fake mom imagining it? But, I, you know, it's the baby saying it right to her, like right to her face, I want to go home. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's beautiful because that's basically everyone's story in this movie is I want to go home. You know, uh, Jin wants to go back home to his family, but he doesn't know how to. Um, Miyuki wants to go home to her family, but she doesn't know how to. And Hana wanted to go home to her family. But, you know, together, they're also a home together. And when they end up getting back, you know, when they're at the hospital at the end of the movie, you know, they're home. There's that comfort again. Uh, they're lying around, smoking, you know, jawing away. Hana complaining that she's been put into the men's ward. Um, you know, just all this, all the naturalism of what their relationship was before. Even though everything has changed, nothing has changed between them. They're still this uh, this collective unit, this family that uh, I think will always be. You know, even when things will finally change for them, whether it's the money. Or Miyuki finally reconnecting with her father, or Angel uh, Hana knowing she can go back to Mother's uh, Angel Tower. I think that you know they will always have each other, which is a nice sentiment. It's that it's that warm feeling you get. I was reminded when you were talking of one of the haikus about uh, the mother, the mother's breath as you set off for a long journey. Yeah, um, ah, that's yeah, so beautiful yeah. and. And then she does the final one. Uh, uh, and what Hana's face when the gust of wind comes and catches the banner, and she sees the sun rising. She's in this moment that should be pure yeah. terror. That should be pure, uh, you know, exhaustion. She's got, you know, she's sick. She's caught this baby. She's falling from a building, and the wind wish pushes her up, and just enough so she can get above the buildings and see the sun rising, is like that moment that is the whole entire film. It encapsulates everything. It makes me cry every time I see it. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful moment that could never be done the same way in a live-action film. Yeah. Like You couldn't capture that in that specific way and have it be that, you know, that stunning. Um, it's absolutely breathtaking, and it it is. That's, the, uh, that's that whole this being a holiday movie. That's what good 
holiday Christmas movies do is ha- make you feel that sense of awe and hopefulness and joy, um, pure joy. Um, and I think he he's able to do that so well because of the way that he's built these characters. Yeah, I agree. I that that moment was uh, the first time I watched this where. You know, I think going into this movie, it was the last of his films that I had to see. And I think that sets you up for an expectation of what a Satoshi Kon movie is. And mm. this, you know, this yeah, is especially not that. after, yeah. Um, and that moment, I kind of made me realize what the whole movie was doing. And, um, you know, I was kind of like, oh, okay. I understand now. <laughs> okay. I see what this is about. Um, there is uh, just the serendipity to the film that feels so unforced and uh, open-hearted that, um, you know, I think makes it exceptional in a way that his other films uh, aren't. Yeah, no, I agree. I think his, uh, his emotions are on his sleeve and you can tell that this is a this is a love letter to the city as much as it's an indictment of what's wrong with the city it is still a love letter to the city and that there's always a chance for things to change and become better yeah. for everyone um, which is a beautiful sentiment and i think this this i think is a direct segue into his next project because um there's definitely a lot of ideas and um street level kind of uh thoughts that he expands upon in uh paranoia agent uh from this film um but then he incorporates more of his earlier work into it too it's a it's a pretty good distillation yeah so we will be covering paranoia agent uh next time uh it'll be our second tv series that um unlike the first one that we will just be covering the full series in one episode which we'll try to keep to uh under Mm. Eight hours. Um, you know, if Kubrick, if Kubrick directed a TV series, we probably would have done it. But you know what? He did. So <laughs> they should. You know, if Kubrick <laughs> was around now, they would make Napoleon as like an eight season. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to uh, touch on for Tokyo Godfathers before we uh, we sail off into the uh, on rollers on roller skates into the. <laughs> I think uh, we've talked about everything I want to talk about. Like this is a movie that, if you haven't given a chance, or you're complaining that it's not like the other movies that he's made, um, you're doing yourself a disservice. Like this is a this is a heartfelt movie. This is this has the tone and feel of like a nineteen. 19- uh, like a 1930s uh, film in terms of kind of like that wearing on its sleeve its kind of message and its hopes you know I think of like a Capra type movie or a, uh, a Preston Sturgis type film of kind of like these screwball moments mixed with this deep emotion and it, it's it's strange to see it in a modern day film that works without it being considered uh, hokey yeah. or uh or overwrought so it's a it's it's a beautiful film and i think it touches on so many things that are important in his in his world uh mainly the idea of identity 
Um, this matches in with Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, this idea of chasing down and finding your identity and all these characters you know as well established as they are they are still trying to kind of uh, come to terms with who they think they are versus what the world thinks of them versus what the people that know them think of them and so it's always about identity for him uh for cone like you know hana never struggles with her identity but she does struggle with this idea that she might not have as much worth as uh, or value as uh, she thinks she has. Uh, Jin is struggling with this idea that um, he has done irreparable harm to his family because he's worthless and he doesn't deserve their love. And then uh, Miyuki also having this idea that what she's done is something that is unforgivable. So all of them feel that uh, their actions in the past have kept them from being able to be embraced by their families and you know that's something that they struggle with and try to um they i think they see that within each other that they're all in the same boat which is why they work so well together and they can relate so well together because we do see other homeless people in this film and they're not a part of those gangs they're you know they're together they live in the same house together it's not like they just meet every once in a while and hang out you know when one of them has money they all eat when one of them finds something they all eat they share and share alike between each other um it's beautiful it's an absolutely beautiful film i think that's that that's all i that's all i have to say about that well put and any final words for you sir bring it on paranoia agent let's do this thing all right and i think with that we're complete for another week 